Hello, 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 LinkedIn. How are you? Um, we're going to get started here in a minute. I'm just going to wait and do a little bit of housekeeping. For those of you that don't know, whenever you do a live event on LinkedIn, you go through a third party. So hopefully you can hear me okay. You can see me okay. Um, and when you post comments, I will be able to see those okay. And our, my slides will work out okay because this is my second time doing this. And every time I do this, inevitably, when I upload the slides to the third party in order to do this, they change a little bit in how they look. So let me just check down on LinkedIn. It looks like I can see myself on my own LinkedIn, but I'm not going to turn it up and see if I can hear myself that's going to cause an issue. All right, let's go ahead and get started. It's noon. For some of you, this is your lunchtime. I want to make this a valuable time where you can learn as much as possible in the smallest amount of time as possible. If you have not attended a training here with me before or watched any of my live um, Mindset Monday podcast episodes that I broadcast here on uh, LinkedIn, then you may not know that I like to give you information that's going to be valuable and going to be useful. I am so sick of us having the same regurgitated information repeated on how we can become better leaders. And so my mission to you is to give you actual information that's going to help you be better leaders. This is information that Great leaders already know, especially outside of the healthcare field, but we often don't integrate this stuff into um, healthcare leadership. Secondarily, I do have a lot of notes. So if you see me looking down, it's because anytime I prepare something, I want to make sure I give you the best bang for your buck. So I have a lot of information that I want to get through with you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Yashika. I am uh, the founder and CEO of The Lynn Group, and we do two things. Number one, you already probably can tell, passionate about high-performance leadership, which is a special type of leadership where you are not just coming in and learning how you can time manage and organize and do more and give all your energy to your organization and not have any energy for the things that you care about. This is actually a high-performance leadership or high performing individuals actually are able to perform at their best at their peak for a sustained amount of time without sacrificing their well-being. I have done this for myself. I've done this in the various roles that I've led from military officer and beyond. I've worked with private clients um, that are not in healthcare, such as entrepreneurship, all of the things, which led me back to healthcare. I'm classically trained as an RN and ERRN, and now um, leadership, all the things. But I noticed that the things that I'm helping my clients do around high performance and personal mastery wasn't being done in leadership. And particularly the things that we do in healthcare leave us more stressed out and more vulnerable and have us needing to perform at a high level. However, we don't do this. And so I thought specifically as my way of giving back was to bring the principles that I've been sharing over the decades with my private clients and other organizations I work with and help my brothers and sisters in healthcare. So here we go. Um, let's see. Oh, <laughs> I have questions this time because I want to get to know your organization better, what you are dealing with as leaders. 
so that I can create more content that's tailored to the things that you're struggling with. So please, even if you're watching the replay, be interactive with the questions, answer the questions, because I'm going to come back and listen to them and see how I can further be of service for you. So let's get these slides up and let's get started. Let's see here. All right, so you are in the right place if you're here to learn the science behind making better decisions. And again, this is insights for healthcare leaders in particularly. And to kick off this presentation, I want you to think of the first question. And it got a little bit cut off. I don't know why it happens like this when I come and do them on LinkedIn. But what do you think is the most challenging aspect of decision making in healthcare leadership? This is the first question that I would love for you to answer. What do you think is the most challenging aspect of decision-making in healthcare leadership? All right, let's get into the information. Understanding the science behind decision-making, and you're gonna see here, I have a little simple diagram that I want you to think about when I'm sharing this information with you because as leaders in healthcare, we have a lot of things that influence our ability to make decisions. And whether that's uh, a heightened ability, a normal ability, or for most of us, a stunted ability to make great decisions. And it's influenced by a number of factors such as our emotions, our actual brain makeup and structure, the different cognitive biases that we all have depending on our conditioning, our culture, or what have you, and the environmental factors, which is you know how we were raised, what we learned, how we grew up, any traumas, all of these things impact our ability to make proper decisions. And our brains especially play a critical role in being able to make these decisions. For example, at the front of your brain, you have the prefrontal cortex. What's important about this part of the brain is that it's responsible for your reasoning, your judgment, your decision-making, and it helps you weigh the pros and cons of different options so that you can make more rational decisions. As we get into this presentation, I'm going to present you with some facts about this prefrontal cortex that's going to surprise you because if you happen to be someone that prides yourself on making great decisions, most of us don't make great decisions. We haven't been taught to make great decisions and we don't make time to make great decisions. And that prefrontal cortex in all of us can be a little bit developmentally delayed and it will not be in our conscious awareness to know so. So we're kind of being thrown into a very critical part of being a leader without really having the optimized tools available to us, depending on how we grew up and other things. Um, and then you have the amygdala and that little part of the brain, this very simplistically is responsible for processing your emotions, such as fear, such as pleasure. And so what does that mean to you? The amygdala can actually influence your prefrontal cortex by triggering emotional responses that impact your choices. And again, I want you to understand that you can listen to me and you can think that you're making the best decisions ever. However, a lot of this stuff is done subconsciously. So you don't even know your awareness is not even on the fact of whether you're making great decisions or not. 
side note, if you haven't attended any of my trainings, the things that I teach, the things that I coach, the things that I train on, don't just look at them in the context of your job. Look at them in the context of your life, because the things that I'm teaching you can not only improve your career, but they can also change your personal life. So anyway, that's that little part of your brain. And for every one of us and our experiences and our personality and all the things that we've been through, we're going to have different ways that we respond emotionally to things. And so that is going to impact our ability to be rational, whether we want to admit it or not. Also in our brains, we have, and in our upbringing and our conditioning, we have these things called cognitive biases. And one of these is called confirmation bias. I want you to understand confirmation bias. And and I'm going to prove a point to you where you really don't have control over, you don't have conscious control over how all of this wiring goes about when you're trying to make decisions, unless you are an intentional and deliberate person when it comes to making decisions. So for confirmation bias, this is the most simplistic thing I can get you to think about. Um, If you went to go buy a car, right, and you wanted to buy this particular type of car, how many of you know that as soon as you think that you want this car or you bought this car, then everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, everybody has your car? That is an example of confirmation bias, which is our tendency to favor information that confirms a preconceived belief or a thing that we are subconsciously wired to pay attention to. You didn't consciously decide that you were going to weed out every single a car that was just like yours or like the car that you wanted. This was just an automatic process that your brain did and only filtered in information that it believed was relevant to you, such as cars that were similar to your car. So think about that. If you don't really have control over that, what else might you not have control over when it comes to the information that you are picking up and perceiving and is filtered into your aura when you are having to make decisions. This is very important because since I have now shown you that most of this stuff happens automatically, you can now understand that if you haven't been taught to critically think, if you haven't been taught to explore the way your subconscious rewiring works or the way your reticular activating system works, then you probably are not making as good of decisions as you could be if you could learn to do decision-making different. If you're here with me live, go ahead and put a comment. What did you think about that? If you are watching the replay, I want to make sure that you understand this. I'm going to have time for questions at the end, but this is super powerful and super important to remember for you as a leader, for CEOs, for whoever is watching this, it doesn't matter if you think that you're making great decisions. If you haven't taken the time to understand and put processes in place in order to specifically cultivate decision-making, critically thinking and decision-making, then you probably are not getting the most out of your own self, out of your personal life, out of leaders, out of your team, out of your organization. It just filters beyond and it impacts our community. 
All right, so let's move on to the next slide. I think I harped on that a bit. That's kind of my jam if you don't know me. All right, so let's get into some evidence-based decision-making in healthcare. Here's another question for you, comment. If you're watching a replay, still comment. Um, how often do you rely on evidence-based practices in your decision-making process? When we, I know when I went to school, it, we were always taught you need to make evidence-based decisions and data-driven decisions. However, when we actually get out and are starting to do our work and everything is fast and we got to make decisions about things that we've never done before or never had to deal with before, are we really making evidence-based decisions and or are we adopting guidelines and protocols and just putting them into place and hoping for the best? Or are we just doing things the way that we've always done and don't really want to change? You have no idea how many times I've been called in to help organizations change their process. And at the initial start of that, most of the, the people in the organization or the department that I was helping didn't want me to be there, which is odd, right? Because if all of us have been taught to do evidence-based decision-making in healthcare, then we would be more open to becoming more lean, becoming better, process improvements, all of the things. But people are so resistant to change. So comment and let me know about your organization and evidence-based practices. And even go take it a, a level deeper, even in your personal life, which I'm pretty sure just in my years of coaching, how often do you rely on evidence-based practices or objective decision-making in your personal life as well? We need reliable data. We are growing in a field technologically. We are growing with data, like we have infinite amounts of data, but don't really know how to use that data appropriately. There's a lot of research going on. And we need to be able to take all of this information that is available to us and use it in a meaningful way to inform our decisions and make sure that we're following best practices, not only in our philosophy and our approach as a leader. So are you using evidence-based decision-making as the person that you show up as when you go to work to be a leader? and also how we make decisions within the role of being a leader. So to me, it's twofold. Who do you be and what do you do? And are we using this evidence-based decision-making at both parts of those? Um, again, we have a complex field. Things are evolving, practices, technologies, all of the things. And I want us to pay attention to this because by incorporating real scientific methods and research findings into our decision-making, doing it for real, we can start to minimize some of those things that I talked about in the previous slide with the brain where we have the biases. We can start to reduce errors and improve patient care and team performance and even our own performance showing up, having the traits of an evidence-based leader, right? This is also important because Instead of relying on what we used to do or stories, you know, like we all have these stories about what we think is the best thing and their personal stories and personal experiences and opinions, we can actually leverage useful information from the clinical trials, research studies, the data that we synthesize from our own databases and quality improvement initiatives to actually help to guide our decisions. 
it enables us to evaluate also the effectiveness of the interventions that we do, right? Because we do a bunch of things. We have to move fast sometimes. But are we evaluating the things that we're implementing or changing through the lens of it being evidence-based? Are we really assessing risks and benefits, true risks and true benefits, or identifying best practices? Or are we just blindly, and this is what I see most often, blindly integrating guidelines and protocols and then kind of hoping for the best and then not really going back and getting the data, not our instincts, not our anecdotal stories, the actual data to see if what we're doing is making a difference. And if it's not, why not? If it is, how can we further improve that type of thing? A lot of times if something is is working, we don't, we don't want to fix it. So uh, let's see if there's anything else I want you to know about evidence-based decision-making, because I know that you're familiar with it. I think I'm going to talk about this here on the next slide, but I also want you to realize that evidence-based decision-making and being able to eliminate the biases that I spoke of can also mean that within your organization or even within your personal life, instead of you relying on these faulty measures like your brain, um, and which is very faulty, and not, um, you know, sitting down and doing some evidence-based decision-making, what you can do is start to adopt maybe what I would call algorithms, or maybe what I would call, I teach my clients in our coaching decision-making frameworks that you can apply to most decision-making elements or, or things that you go through in your life on the day-to-day so that you have a systematic approach that is evidence-based, data-driven, all the things to the way that you approach the different decisions you have to make on a day-to-day basis. So you're not relying on your brain and on your emotions and your conditioning in order for you to make the decisions that you need to make on the day-to-day. So some strategies for making better decisions. I already mentioned that most of us tend to, and this is not a this is not a throwaway comment. This is actually research driven. It's been proven that most of us make decisions in the ways that I mentioned, which is the instinct, the intuition, the personal biases, taking mental shortcuts. A lot of us haven't been taught how to think. I mean, like, let me know if you've taken a class on actually to teach you how to think. So most of us don't even know how to think. So we take these mental shortcuts. And again, it leads to errors in judgment, especially if you are in complex and uncertain situations. And think about this. For some of you leaders, you've been thrown into situations that you haven't had to deal with in a very long time. You've also been thrown in situations that none of us have had to deal with ever. And things are continuing to change. And the trends say that they're going to continue to change and our resources are going to continue to be stretched thin. And so we're going to have to be more innovative and creative. So all of these factors that are going to be thrown your way as a leader are going to continuously, if you're not a conscious decision maker, erode the integrity of your decision making, which is why I'm teaching you this information so that you can learn to make better decisions from a scientific basis. It can be dangerous for you as a healthcare leader, for me as a healthcare leader, to just rely on the way that we've always done things, our brain, our mental shortcuts, our instincts, our biases, all of that, because 
you already know where that leads, right? Um, we negatively impact the quality of the decisions that we make at every area and it trickles down. It trickles out into your personal life, right? How are you making decisions in your personal life? And it also not only erodes the quality of the outcomes that we receive in these various areas of our life, but it also can lead to um, us missing out on opportunities for innovation and change. And I know that you probably, hopefully you're not this person in your organization, but if you are, I'm calling you out. We have all probably as leaders for most of us been in our career or our specialty for a while. And because we are experts in our chosen field, we often think that we're an expert in our chosen field. And so we know a lot. And while we do have a lot of knowledge, there's also a lot of information that's not even filtered into your consciousness based on the things that I've just taught you. So there's also a lot that you don't know that other people know because they have a different perspective, different emotional responses with their amygdala. They maybe have a different prefrontal cortex. And so it's also important to not dismiss or think you know more than somebody or think you know better than somebody in every single instance, because you're missing out on opportunities, opinions, suggestions for that innovation and improvement that I just spoke about. So where you have growth and quality and patient care and lives at stake, you cannot afford to just coast in your position as a leader in healthcare or as anybody in healthcare. And so here on this slide, you just are going to see uh, some strategies that you can start to use to make better decisions. Of course, you want to make sure you gather and analyze the data. You also want to make sure that the data that you're gathering and analyzing is accurate. There are certain systems, electronic systems that are better than others, right? Like, for instance, Epic is going to be better than um, I once had to do some initiatives with an employee health system, and they use a different software outside of Epic that is very, very clunky. And so it was very hard to gather and analyze data to make these meaningful decisions. So also make sure that the data that you're getting is correct. Are your people inputting the data appropriately, accurately? Because remember, we all know things are only as good as the data. But Gather and analyze the data that you receive. This can be the patient data around discharge times, right? Because if you really want to do staffing, it may not be 12 hours a day. It may not be eight hours a day, um, you know, in our two to three shift staggers. Maybe if you analyze the data in conjunction with the patient data, you are able to more use the resources that you have available to cover the workload that you have. That's just, you know, just simplistic, uh, a simplistic example. Number two is seek diverse perspectives. We have a big problem with making decisions in isolation in healthcare. We often think that the ER doesn't understand the ICU and the ICU doesn't understand the ER and we do things differently. But at the end of the day, the ER and the ICU work very closely together. However, how often are you actually seeing the diverse perspectives, not just from the different subspecialties like ER and ICU, not 
just from leaders, maybe the two leaders talk together, the ICU and the ER, but what about the different roles within those different floors? Are they working together? Usually not. So if you want to have better decisions, then you need to seek more diverse perspectives. Also consider the pros and cons. How many of you, you try to, you push some sort of innovation or change and you get shot down immediately. And most people, when they shoot you down, they only tell you the cons and they think they're doing you a favor, doing the organization a favor, doing everybody a favor by saying, well, I just want to make sure that we understand all the things that could go wrong. The problem with that is almost everybody that thinks like that has a bias towards only looking at the things that can go wrong. And they don't really also divert that same attention and quality and all the things to also looking at the things that can go right. So if you truly want to consider pros and cons, then it's not about we can't do this. Here's why we can't do this, blah, 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 blah. Then you also need to be saying, okay, now this is why we can do this. This is how we can do it. And then you'll really get a better picture of if something that you think is a no is a yes or something that you think is a yes may be a no.